and welcome to Letters from the Lunchroom, a podcast by Sparkwheel. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge. For more than 25 years, students and families have counted on Sparkwheel to remove barriers, fill gaps, and be personal champions to help students thrive. During this podcast, we talk to people who have a relationship with our organization. From students to staff members and alumni to volunteers, we know that people who connect with nonprofits have a story that led them there, and we want to know that story. In this episode, we sit down with Christine Armstrong, Program Director for Tribal Services in Anadarko, Oklahoma. Please join us as Christine shares her Sparkwheel story. Hi, Christine. Welcome to the lunchroom. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing great. Great. So if you would, just please take a moment and introduce yourself to our audience. Okay. Well, my name is Christine Armstrong, and I am the program director uh, for tribal services here in Anadarko, Oklahoma. And uh, how long have you been doing that? Um, well, I started working for Sparkwell in January of uh, 2021. So about two and a half years, a little over two and a half years, I started the coordinator um, they moved up to program manager and I've been the program director, uh, for about four months now. Okay. Awesome. Well, as we are reminiscing about the history, let's go all the way back to when you first heard about Sparkwheel. Do you remember that moment and what drew you into the work that we do and to work with us? I do remember it uh, vividly. Actually, I was working as a, um, child welfare investigator at the time and I was working on a case and a child that I was interviewing at the time was talking about his student support coordinator. And I was like, well, what is that? You know, who is that person? And this child said, that's my safe person at school. Very interested in who was this person, right? Because, <laughs> you know, I wanted to know. And so I met, I met her and, um, so she told me, you know, what she did and, and the work that Sparkle does, things like that. And so I was hooked immediately. Um, so that was my first encounter with the organization. Oh, wow. I can't believe that student used that phrase. Like, that's my safe person. Like, yes. that's just yes. the sweetest thing. Um, so did you immediately start looking for openings or did it take a minute? <laughs> It took a minute. I I would say probably over a year. I uh, you know I continued working as an investigator, but I I knew I knew then there was coordinators in in every school in Anadarko, so I would really lean upon them for not just getting some resources, but also because I knew they had a connection with the family and you know child welfare and that entity. That's scary for parents, and so they were able to bridge that gap for me and being able to you know talk to them and and you know, cause I knew they had established trust with their families. So it was, they were very helpful. And then, uh, when the position came open, uh, of course <laughs> I was all over it. So. 
Well, and honestly, you're the perfect fit because you've been with the organization for a while now and we all wa- we all love you. But in just hearing from that little bit, um, if I was the person who was like receiving your resume, I'd be like, oh, heck yeah, bring this person in. So you were working in a child-focused support services role prior to, you know, coming to us. Did, was there like a specific time in your life that pointed you in the direction of going into school social services? Oh, absolutely. Um, so when I was uh, a teenager, you know, I, I uh, got into quite a bit of trouble. And and so I remember the moment a social work type person pulled me aside and spoke to me about my future and told me, um, you know, asked me what that looked like. And I had never had anyone in my life ask me that about what I wanted to do or what I thought I could do. So I remember the conversation very well between me and this social work type person. And uh, he, he gave me hope and he gave me um, a sense of like a belief in myself that I could do something other than what I was doing, which was just getting in a lot of trouble. And so um, that led me to be interested in like, how, how can I help? Um, and so I initially I went into, into law enforcement out of college and became a police officer, but I saw out. Oh, yeah, so I saw a bunch of negative things, but what I was doing was as a police officer, I would want to go back and try to see what happened or follow up with families. And I remember my chief at the time pulling me aside and saying, that's not what we do. And I said, well, then maybe I need to do something different. So that's when I went into social work and started doing that and started working with families and children. Oh, my gosh. You are such a cool human. <laughs> Okay, so I have like 50 questions I want to ask you. I'm trying to figure out like what the specific ones we want to get to because we have limited time. But let me go ahead and get into this one first. So um, you work in Anadarko, Oklahoma. You're the program director for tribal services. Um, And the work that we do in Anadarko, as it is with everywhere, it's uniquely customized to support the students and the communities that we're in. So do you mind taking a minute to just tell us a little bit about the community and the ways in which you and your team are working to support the unique needs within that community? Okay. So in Anadarko, um, we have a a high population of Native American people um, because this was one of the original reservations. So... um, we have represented in Anadarko as many, many tribes, um, but indigenous to this area, we have specifically Comanche, Kiowa, Caddo, Wichita, Apache, Fort Sill, Apache, and Delaware. And so we have those tribes all in the same area. And then, of course, tribes have moved in. We have a lot. We have kids from all over the nation that come to live in Anadarko. So because we have such a high Native population, uh, you know, we focus, of course, on, 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 on them. And the reason why is, to be quite honest, to be transparent, Native American children have the worst statistics mm-hmm. when it comes to education and other things. We have the lowest graduation rates. Mm-hmm. We have the highest dropout rates. Uh, we have, you know, the highest suicide rates. We have the highest uh, substance abuse rates, the highest domestic violence rates amongst over any other ethnic group. And so, you know, there, there needs to be change. It stems from historical trauma. We know where it stems from. It stems from a lack of uh, self-confidence, um, a lack of identity, um, things that were, you know, really 
struck down and taken away from us during colonization. So we have to combat those things now. And so the only thing we, way we can do it is, um, you know, coming back into our tribal communities and working and, you know, doing that groundwork and that heart work with, with our students and building them up and making them resilient. And um, so we specifically work with Native students on our caseload. But however, you know, even though our school is, you know, mm-hmm. 85% Native, we still have um, uh, non-Native children. However, they're in the Native community. And when I say non-Native, they probably are Native. They probably just don't have enough uh, blood quantum to be enrolled. But um, right. we, we have, um, you know, mixed mixed race children, and but they're all in the same community. So we help all of them. But specifically, we do have caseload children that we, we make sure that um, – we're targeting so that we can get those numbers changed. You know, we don't want to be the, the worst ethnic group on every scale there is. I mean, I mean, we want to change that for our kids. Right. Well, and I know that some of the things that the program there in Anadarka was doing to help provide support for those kiddos is that we are helping to, uh, you know, reunite them in like a really positive aspects, helping them fall back in love with their culture. And, you know, we do that through hiring staff that represents the culture in that community. And I know that you guys are doing work to educate the students that uh, about their history and helping them to know and, and become proud of who they are and what made them their backgrounds and, and what made them the people that they are today. Right. So yeah, our staff are, are native. Um, we're all from different tribes. Um, so they have, you know, their safe person uh, looks like them yes. and that's important. And we can speak their languages. Um, if, you know, I'm Comanche. So if I have a Comanche student, I'm able to speak, teach them some of the language that, you know, was our indigenous to us or, or if Cassidy or my coordinator, you know, she's Apache, she may teach them something about Apache tradition. So that cultural yes. revitalization, the language revitalization is very important to us um, because it gives them a sense of identity again, because, so, because for so long um, we were stripped of that and we're told that to that we were to be embarrassed of it or we were to be you know, not proud of it. So we're trying to bring that back. And yeah, it does. It makes a huge difference with these kids. Absolutely. And I know that it's not just for those kids, but also for the non-Native kids that you were talking about. You guys are serving them and helping them to become educated. And it's just really important that the history and to learn about people who have different backgrounds from, you know, themselves. And so it's incredibly important. Yeah. So that, and that those kids, the non-native, they call, you know, we call them allies. And so they call themselves allies now. Yes, so when we, when we do uh, cultural events and activities at the school, they're just as much a part of it. And they'll identify, I mean, they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm here as an ally. I'm here to help educate other people about my native friends. And so it's, it's great to see that. I love that. I didn't know that you guys did that. That's just like the most perfect, you know, quote unquote label for those kiddos. And I love it. Um, Allies. Oh, so cute. Okay. So I want to dig into your work as it, uh, as you were, whenever you were a student support coordinator. So I will say that in my opinion, student support coordinators have the most interesting jobs out of anybody who works for this organization. I'm always very curious to hear about the firsthand experience that student support coordinators get when they're working with directly with students and helping them to reach their goals 
And so when you were a student support coordinator, I have two questions for you about that. One, what was your favorite, like one of your favorite memories or favorite support that you offered? And then two, if you could go back and meet yourself when you started as a student support coordinator, what advice would you give yourself? Um, okay. So if we're talking about like a favorite support, uh, one of our, one of my favorite supports was when, uh, we had something called, um, flex Friday. So every Friday I would get nominations from teachers. They could nominate students for increased attendance or improved behavior, improved academics. And then I would get a little gift bag or whatever it was together. Didn't have to be much. Um, and I would go to the classroom and the students knew that it was Flex Friday. So they were waiting. So I'd go to you know, a classroom and be like, Flex Friday and so-and-so is being, you know, um, noticed for this. And they would just like cheer and clap and, yeah, and it was just like this big thing. And for high school students to do anything like that, like to get them excited. Aww. So it was always a fun thing. Um, and, you know, they go through the little bag and everyone would be happy. But it, it involved the teachers because the, the disconnect that um, we have seen is that a lot of our teachers don't understand our, uh, a lot of our native students or like the history and the kind of uh, historical trauma they're coming from. So we initially we saw that disconnect with how can we connect them more? And so this that support helped because the teachers had to get, you know be more engaged on a personal level with the kids to kind of get to you know incentivizing or whatever or even sending their the uh, nominations. So and and you know the kids loved that their teachers mm -hmm. were nominating. They they were be, they felt seen you know. And so uh, that was my favorite support that I did when I was a coordinator. Um, so I don't remember. So the, no, I just, what was the second question? So the second question is if you could go back and meet yourself with all of the knowledge that you have right now, uh, but you go back and you meet yourself on your very first day, what advice would you give yourself as a new student support coordinator? You know, I would say to not worry so much about, um, about all the million things that come with this. Like mm -hmm. there's so much information that gets thrown at you. And um, when you're a new coordinator, like, you know, you've got to keep track of this and keep track of that and talk to this person, make sure. But overall, bottom line, just number one thing to worry about is building relationships. If you are building relationships with your students and having that one-on-one -on -one time and communication, and you start building that trust, the job just falls in line. Everything falls behind that. So if, if you know, don't get caught up in, you know, emails and this, just focus on your kids. And, and when those conversations are happening and you're showing them that they're important and that you have time to talk to them, then the job's just easy. It just, you know, it's rewarding and everything else falls in place. And is there any specific student success story that stands out to you? Yeah, um, I do. I have a, I, when I first started, I met a kiddo that uh, was, I believe she was at the time, she was just starting 10th grade. So um, she was referred to us because she was having behavioral issues. She was skipping, you know, arguing with teachers, getting, you know, kicked out of the classroom, just, 
you know, low grades, all this stuff. But when I started to engage her, she was a little bit resistant, but I kept bugging her really. And um, what I saw is she was very intelligent and she was very articulate. And so I was like, how can we build on this? Right. So I started getting her involved with different groups that we had and um, with students and specifically a group called Unity, which is uh, a native youth group. Um, and we also have allies, a part of that as well. But, and I real quickly noticed she had leadership qualities. So I thought, you know, she just needs to be seen. She needs to be heard. She wants, she, she has a strong voice. She just doesn't know how to hone it. Right. So I saw myself in her as when I was that age. So, um, started working with her, spent a lot of time with her and she started leading, uh, peer, uh, tutoring groups and things like that. So giving her things to do. So now fast forward, she's a senior this year. And there's another coordinator, of course, in the building now, but she just picked up where I left off and I still go and visit, you know, my kiddos, but now she's a leader of the unity group that we introduced her to. Uh, she has completed vocational uh, school and she's a certified nurse as an assistant now. She um, has excellent grades, excellent attendance. Um, but the biggest thing about this kiddo is now she will bring other students to the Sparkle classroom and say, this is your person. If you need help, this is your person. And she has connected us with kids that need help. And so, and, you know, I visited her uh, last week, you know, asked her how her senior year was going. And, and you know, she was telling me how it was going and she's ready to graduate. And I said, so what are you going to do? And she's like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do this and that. And she's like, but you know what? I'm coming back to Sparkle. I want to be a coordinator. So I was like, well, what? Yes. So I'm like, yes, girl, you know, so she's one of my favorite stories. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. I mean, that does sound like a future student support coordinator. So I just love it. Okay. Um, okay, well, we are almost at time for this first segment. But I do want to talk a little bit about your current role and what you're looking forward to. So we know that you were student support coordinator, you've been promoted into the role of program director. So tell us a little bit about your responsibilities in that role, and what you are enjoying most or what you are looking forward to most during this first year. Okay. Uh, you know, so I oversee um, the coordinators in each one of our, our schools in Andarco. And and uh, we have one in each school. So we have um, one in each elementary, three elementaries, two in the middle school and one at the high school. So just overseeing their daily day, their day to day um, uh, programs, um, making sure that we connect with community members. We have a lot of tribes. So I meet with a lot of, you know, tribal uh, leaders and uh, seeing how, you know, they can help and how they can help the students and so a lot of networking and things like that. But the biggest thing I tell my coordinators is, you know, I'm here to support them. I'm here. I know what they go through on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so just to be supportive to them, I tell them all the time I'm, I'm their biggest cheerleader they have. And so the thing I'm looking forward to the most this year is just watching them flourish, really, because they, they know what they're doing. They know they know their job they've they've all been in the position for a while and so watching them go from you know that nervous first year coordinators to 
just running with it now. Like they have so many wonderful ideas and they come to me and say, what about this? What about that? And I'm like, go, go do, you Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) And so I just really excited about that. We are really excited about partnering with the school district on several things. Um, One thing is we're combining parent teacher conferences with our parent engagement events. And so we really are excited about that. Um, And you know, I could keep going on and on, but really I'm just so excited about us. Just, you know, we just keep expanding. We just keep adding to, and so, yeah. Well, and actually I was going to ask you a question earlier when you were talking about the community and you were talking about people coming in from all over the community and moving into Anadarko is Anadarko a community that is like increasing in size? Uh, Somewhat. So the reason why we have so many people come in Santa Darko is because our native communities are so connected. So, you know, just tribally um, within communities, we have a lot of kids that, you know, have grandparents from the northern tribes, but maybe, you know, the parents have moved on here to the southern tribes. So we have a lot of inner, like, connectedness with other tribes, but we also, you know, have, we still have a boarding school in, in Anadarko and sometimes those kids get sent to the boarding school and they end up in our district. So there's a lot of crossing of that like there's um and you know in the native community we're we're different in the way our our family dynamics work and so if you see kids maybe raised with aunts and uncles and grandparents and then they may move the next year to go back to parents that's that's a norm in our community that's Mm -hmm. i know some communities may think that that's strange or that's like the kids are floating around, but that's not how we see it. We, we are very communal in the way we raise our children. So lots of times, you know, we, they move around. And so we'll see kids, you know, kids from all over come in and they'll be like, oh, I'm down here with my aunt now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just very normal to us. So that's how we have so many tribes down here. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for explaining that because I was definitely curious. And I know that Andarco isn't a massive community, but it is a good sized community. All right, Christine. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be back with a second serving of Letters from the Lunchroom. So stay tuned. Welcome back. As part of our show, we ask each guest to write a letter to the students that we serve, and the only guide they are given is that it must come from the heart. So, Christine, if you would, please read your letter. Okay. Dear students, when I see you in the hallways at school, I see my younger self. I remember trying to navigate challenges, barriers, and trauma while trying to maintain grades and reach goals. I know that you are also struggling with barriers, dealing with personal, family, or even community trauma. And sometimes just having the motivation to get up every day for school is hard when all you're worried about is having enough food to eat or having clean clothes. But I also see your strength, your resiliency, your determination, and your future. I see you graduating. I see you reaching life goals. I see you sitting at tables that you were never thought to be set at. I see that for you. And why can I see this so clearly? Because I was you. I was in your shoes 
and now I'm sitting at tables I never thought I would sit at. I want you to know that there are people in your corner that wholeheartedly believe in you. Never stop, never quit, and never say never. I believe in you every single day. Love, Miss Armstrong. Okay, wow. So that was awesome. Um, you use the table analogy, which I think, I mean, like, honestly, this entire conversation we've had so far, you have there have been phrases and words that you have used that are just so impactful. And they're just so thoughtful in regards to, obviously, you are a person who has spent significant time advocating for your community and the people within your community. And that's just very, very clear how much you understand everything that's going on because of um, you lived it. And, you know, I'm just sitting here as a white person and just you know, doing my best to constantly be listening and to be an ally and to learn. And it's so interesting to be, to to continue to have us, uh, have the opportunity to have a deeper conversation with you because you and I have talked before, but we've never really talked about anything that we're talking and delving into here specifically. And so to, to talk more into that detail, um, you know, you, so far we've just kind of like barely dipped our toes into the fact that there's trauma and that there are these data points and that they're showing that the the native community has still has some significant struggles. And so to hear the way that you were talking to students and believing in them and showing them like, you know, you can do it. I did it. You know, you can do it. It's just, it's so inspiring and also heartbreaking at the same time. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, the, the, the conversations I have with our Native students, um, I try to be very transparent with them in that we were never meant to survive the Holocaust we went through. Um, and that's the truth. And so we did, though. And mm-hmm. I tell them all the time, you're the grandchildren of the people that weren't meant to survive. So we're still here. And so you have to use your voice. You have to use your voice. And that's the only way that you're going to be able to change things. And so I remember, you know, my dad having conversations with me and him saying how he was taught or he was told by teachers and, you know, other people that to not tell anyone he was native to lie and say that he was just Hispanic or something, because, you know, if people found out that, they would hate him. And so, you know, to go, and so my dad would be like, don't ever, you know, let anyone tell you, you know, that you'll be hated for who you are. So he was a very big advocate on the American Indian movement and trying to um, have our voices heard. So I was kind of raised in that environment of, of that. But so I try to tell my kids, you have to be proud of the fact that we're still here. We have to be, you have to have that pride. And so and the only way we can make change is to be educated, to be, um, you know, transparent with our history and then move forward. All we can do is learn from it, but we have to educate other people on the truth of it. And we have to, you know, go from there. So mm-hmm. uh, we have those deep conversations with them and, uh, I love it because I see these young people becoming leaders and, you know, they're starting to do things, you know, that they didn't, when we first met them, like they're wearing their regalia, they're growing their hair out again, you know, they're 
speaking their language and, <laughs> and they're just kind of yeah. loud about it. And I'm like, good, do that, do that. Like, you know, so yeah, there's, it's, you know, I look back and I think the same thing about myself. I was just so down on myself. I was so confused of, should I be quiet about being native? Am I only supposed to tell people that my mom's white? What am I, am I supposed to be embarrassed of my father? And there were times that I was, I didn't want them to know that my dad was native. So uh, it was a struggle and I know what they go through. And so, um, you know, now that, and I, I just continue to try to do more and more and more to show our young people, you can do this. You can, you can be that native sitting at tables where policies are being made that are going to change future generations. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely love this work. This is, this is my jam. <laughs> well, and I know that, that you are a loud and proud native person <laughs> and I know that people can't see you right now, but I know you, I've seen you in person and you have this big, gorgeous Comanche tattoo, um, on your arm. Right. And, and with other tattoos, <laughs> too, yes. um, but uh-huh. it, it, you know, right on your forehand arm and you're just rocking it. And so I think that's got to be really nice for other kids that are maybe hesitant to be like, look at this person and look at this strong leader. I have a really, I have a really cute story about my tattoo just real quick. Actually at a Juneteenth um, function where we had students come out to do some face painting and um, anyways, just hang out with the students. And there was a, a student there that's actually one of our elementary um, students. And he saw, you know, my tattoo that says Comanche and it literally runs the length of my arm. That's how big it is. And he said, I'm Delaware from the Delaware nation. I said, okay. And he's probably, you know, nine or 10. And he said, can, and since we were doing face painting, he said, can you paint my tribe on my arm like you? And I said, yeah. But he said, but I want to do it in my language. And I said, well, how do you say Delaware? And I, of course I knew, but I said, I wanted him to hear him. I said, how do you say Delaware? And he said, Lenape. I said, you're right. And so he mm-hmm. said, now make sure you write it in cursive like yours. I said, okay. So I painted Lenape on his arm. And, you know, he walked around and was telling people, you know, this is my tribe. And I took a picture of it, you know, of course, and um, sent it to his coordinator. And she was just so, you know, proud because she's the one that taught him how to say his tribe in his native language. So that was really neat, you know? Um, so yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. That's just like another way that you guys are doing all of these things that we talked about in the first part of this episode with helping kids reconnect with their culture and showing them all of these positive aspects and helping them just really fall back in love with it. And I love it so, so much. I love that you guys are doing that. So Whenever you sat down to write your letter, was it difficult for you to figure out what sort of direction you were going to go with it? No. And I tell you why it wasn't difficult, because I know why I'm doing this work. Um, I know instinctively that this is what I was supposed to do. I had to go through all the different jobs I've had. You know, I've been a police officer, I've been, you know, in mental health and I've done all these things, but it just led me to this. So you know, when I was thinking back when I was, you know, 15 and talking to that social worker and thinking that's what I want to do, that's what I'm doing now. And so it, it's led me here. So when I wrote it, it, it wasn't hard. It was, I, I just want to give back and, um, 
be that person, be that safe person, and then teach my coordinators how to be that safe person, be be that person these kids need. So, yeah, no, it was it was it was easy. <laughs> good, good. I mean, it it came out so strong and authentic. And, you know, the, the coordinators are lucky to have someone like you to look up to and to lead them as they are just doing this incredible, incredible work. So, Christine, we're going to take just another quick break and then we will be back for some extra credit. So stay tuned. All right, we are back. Are you ready for some extra credit questions? All right, Christine. So tell me, what is one of your favorite songs? <laughs> oh my goodness. Like that is so, I like so many genres of music. So um, just, I'm thinking of like, what's the first thing that pops into my head? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's what you should do is just like, what is the first thing that comes into your head? Um. Oh goodness, I I don't even you got me on this. Um, probably I don't know why this is popping in my head. This is so silly, but like Saturday Night Fever. Is nice. <laughs> I don't know why. I love dance music. I love feel good music. I think music like has so much impact on on the way you're feeling at the time. You want to be sad, listen to sad stuff. You want to be happy, listen to happy stuff. So yeah, but I don't know why. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so, okay. The second question that people typically get stumped on okay. is, uh, if you could pick a superpower to have, what would you choose and why? Oh goodness. So definitely I would probably pick invisibility. Um, so I could do covert operations. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but no. I want to be, I want to listen sometimes to the way people reach the decisions that they have. Um, and so if I could get some insight into, you know, how do people come up with some of the policies and procedures that, uh, especially surrounding like our native people, if I could get into those, into those meetings and listen and go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And then I could work backwards. <laughs> that sounds silly. Maybe that, maybe that's, uh, I don't know, a bad answer, but that, I mean. Yeah, sometimes the only way you can get truth sometimes is, is just to be quiet and listen and be still. And what better way than if you're invisible, so you could do that. You're not wrong, man. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it, it, it does. So, so your final question is, what is the number one reason why you feel that people should get involved with Sparkwheel? The number one reason is, you know, the, the support of students. Like, hundred percent they're our future like you know they and just even the smallest amount of support I think people you know they look at something and they go man I don't have like thousands of dollars and I don't have whatever that's all right how about your time you know how about just some of your energy just giving these kids hope that there are people out there that have their back and have and believe in them is enough um, yeah, if you got 20 bucks, great. You know how much hygiene supplies I can buy with $20 for these kids? Like people have no idea, um, how much, uh, 
their support means means to these kids and 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 it's noticed by our students they they always ask us like so who who did this for us or who who sent over these you know pencils or who i mean they're always so thankful and appreciative um but it goes so far any kind of generosity any any kind of involvement and it doesn't have to be a lot just a little bit yeah and i love that you know if you don't have time and you don't have finances there are so many small and free actions that people can take like liking a post or sharing a post just letting people know what we do that helps too and it just elevates everything Absolutely. I, I I just had an experience today. I was at a meeting and someone said, they saw my shirt. Of course, I have a Sparkle shirt on and they said, oh, I just saw a post that someone shared about an upcoming event you have. And I was like, yeah. And so then it got the conversation started. So what do y'all do? And able to give my elevator speech. So yeah, absolutely. Just small little, and I don't know who shared it, but hey, they shared it and, and then they asked me. So it was, it was great. Perfect. Perfect. So our social media marketing is doing exactly what it should be doing. I love that, right? All right, Christine. So thank you so much for taking your time today to share with us your spark wheel story and just so, so much more. Okay. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you so much for listening to this episode and joining with us and Letters from the Lunchroom. For more information on Sparkwheel, including detailed information about our tribal services, please check out our website at sparkwheel.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a rating. And then also follow us on social media at Sparkwheel Inc. I'm your host, Victoria Partridge. And until next time, class is dismissed.